We've uh, leapt on many years now in the story of uh, Joseph. Uh, Last week uh, at St. Matthew's, wasn't it great to see everyone there uh, last week to gather in such uh, great numbers? And last week we were at that place of of waiting where Joseph was uh, in the prison uh, unfairly and then he'd had the agony of the cupbearer forgetting all about him. But then in verse 14, where we pick up the story today, it all begins to change. Pharaoh sent for Joseph. He was quickly brought from the dungeon. When he'd shaved and changed his clothes, he came before Pharaoh. The pace had been uh, deliberately slow. There were many verses that were quite repetitive, focusing on his time in prison, the unending wait for something to happen. But then suddenly, as we saw last week, suddenly at God's appointed time, God who makes everything beautiful in his time, there's this flurry of kingdom activity. God's time has come and all of a sudden the waiting is over and uh, Joseph needed to get ready and at verse 15 the the pace kind of changes. A beard needs trimming, new clothes need to be found, there's a deadline to meet. God's on the move and God's man is ready. The time has come. I don't know how Joseph felt in those moments of sheer exhilaration that perhaps for the first time in many years he was stepping outside of the compound of the prison. But in reality, I guess, any joy or excitement or sense of freedom that he might have felt as the chains were released or the doors flung wide open was soon to be eclipsed by the overwhelming sense of the moment that he was about to experience. Suddenly he went from the darkness of the prison to the brightness of the palace and he stood before the most powerful man on earth. The man who quite literally had Joseph's life in his hands. If he fluffs it, it could all be over. If he gets it right then he will be catapulted into God's purpose for his life. It's just like they say on X Factor every week on a Sunday evening, I'm singing for my life. (laughs) Crunch time. The big moment. What will happen? How will the man of God cope when the pressure is on? As it turns out, The very first book of the Bible teaches us that it was the man on whom the Spirit of God rested that would indeed be ready when crunch time came, that would indeed be able to handle the pressure. So as we heard some moments ago, Pharaoh had two dreams. There were the cows and then there were the ears of uh, corn. The seven uh, cows that were fat and then there were seven ugly scrawny thin cows who then ate the fat cows and didn't get any fatter and then there were the heads of corn and so on you know those stories pharaoh it says when he dreamt the dream woke up in a bit of a sweat You know those kind of dreams, those dreams that are close enough to be real that they begin to panic you. 
And in that moment between sleep and awake, you are reorientating yourselves just to make sure it's not true. We've had those dreams. And then he dreams again. But this is the bit, the most interesting bit, I think, at the end. I told this to the magicians, but none of them, I don't know what verse this is, it's certainly not verse 14 as it says on here. I told this to the magicians, but none of them could explain it to me. Now we've already been told in the way the writer writes this particular chapter in verse 8 that basically the magicians were pretty useless. Here it is. Um, Here we go, verse 8. In the morning his mind was troubled, so he sent for all the magicians and wise men of Egypt. Pharaoh told them his dreams, but no one could interpret them for him. That is really weird. It's really weird because the meaning was so obvious, even the reception class would have understood what these dreams meant. You see, the real puzzle is not that the magicians and uh, wise men, whichever translation you're using, soothsayers, whatever other uh, uh, verses, uh, uh, words are there to describe them. It's not that the fancy magicians were unable to interpret it. What's weird is that they found their silence. Or is it not so weird? You see, the country of Egypt, as we know, is uh, 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 built around a river, the River Nile, uh, and Egypt quite literally depends, and even more so in the past, on the River Nile in order for it to be sustained. Good years and bad years literally came up out of the Nile. If the Nile hadn't, didn't um, overflow its banks twice a year and irrigate the land, Egypt would have been thrown into uh, a sense of destitution. So quite literally, the River Nile was responsible. Out of the Nile comes good and bad years. In fact, there was an ancient Egyptian legend that would often get told, uh, and it's a conversation between all the great rivers of uh, the world, the Euphrates and the Ganges, and they're all putting forward their case as to why they are the greatest uh, river. And in ancient Egyptian legend, of course, the Nile comes forward and says, well, I, I, don't really, I don't really know why I'm the greatest. I simply burst my banks twice a year and irrigate the land. And urged on by the gods, it said, the only thing I do is that twice a year I overflow my banks. All the gods agreed that this river was the greatest because it brought life to the most people. And so in the psyche of uh, the people of Egypt was their dependence upon the gods through the river Nile. If God wanted to show Pharaoh that there would be seven years of plenty followed by seven years of famine, he could not have done it any plainer in that context, in that culture, in their language. Pharaoh himself, I suspect, would have understood the meaning of these dreams and no wonder he woke up in a cold sweat. What troubled them and what I'm sure troubled Pharaoh and the reason that they stayed quiet is that Pharaoh was not the kind of person 
to whom you would bring bad news. So better to say, we've got no idea, Pharaoh, what this means. And to say, you have seven years left. There will be seven years of abundance when the glory of Egypt will be celebrated around the world and the splendor of your reign will be remarked on. But then there will be seven years when your reign will collapse, your country will be brought to its knees and people will wonder where your wealth and your splendor has gone. I reckon, to use a good Suffolk phrase, I reckon that those magicians knew exactly what this dream meant. Now, into that particular cauldron of emotions, excuse me, <coughs> into that particular cauldron of emotion. Oh, don't you hate it when you cough and it doesn't do anything? <laughs> so there's Joseph. You've got the magicians and soothsayers going, huh, what are you going to say now, Joseph? Smart pants with your dreams. Everyone's watching. Everyone's waiting. So what happens? Well, there are three things here that Joseph did that we all need to do if we are to seize the moments that God gives us to be influencers for his kingdom. Remember the whole big picture. Uh, Joseph comes from nowhere to rise to a position of influence. This is part of that rise. Three things that Joseph did that we must do if we are to become or to be God's kingdom influencers. The Spirit gave Joseph, firstly, the courage to speak the truth. Even though it was unpalatable even though it was not what Pharaoh would have wanted to hear. And as we seek to seize moments of influence for God's kingdom, we also need to be those that learn to share, to tell, to proclaim the truth clearly, even when it's unpalatable, even when there are aspects of it that people do not want to hear. And at what level, level we're talking about, at whatever level we are called to be influencers, the question is this, who will have the courage today to stand up as Joseph did and tell the truth? To speak it out? To say it as it is? To say it clearly, unambiguously? The courage to present what's true even when the world in Pharaoh, the magicians, would put their fingers in their ears and say, we're not listening, we can't hear, we don't know what this truth is, but still to proclaim it clearly. Is there a tendency, I think there is, for us to be a bit like those magicians? To keep it a little quiet? To pretend that we're not so sure about what we think the truth might be. To tiptoe around for fear of the confrontation that the truth might bring. Is there somewhere or someone where you know the truth, but you're not making a stand? Is there someone, somewhere, where you know the truth, 
but you're not making a stand for it. Trust me, there are so many areas where we know things that are true, don't we? We know the truth about marriage and family. We know the truth about pornography. We know the truth about consumerism, workaholism, debt. We know the truth about life without meaning and purpose. We know the truth about life without direction. We know the truth about poverty and injustice and oppression. We know the truth about eternity, life and death, the now and the not yet. But who'll speak out? Who will stand up for what is true? Who will contend for that truth and be a clarion call for it? Remember Joseph. 30 years of age, he's lost all his bottle and his confidence because he's stuck in prison for a good number of years. Suddenly one day, he's hurled before the most powerful man in the world and it's crunch time. Will he be faithful to the truth or will he fluff it or fudge it or quietly tiptoe around it? Where today? Do we find that Joseph-like courage? And of course, there are, it works in different dimensions. There's kind of a public dimension, isn't there? Is there some truth in your workplace, in your office, in your school, in your college, your shop, your factory, your team? Is there some truth that needs to be contended for in that environment? also works on a personal level, a personal dimension. Do you see the truth in someone else's life? Someone you're discipling, someone who's part of your family, someone who's a friend, and you can see the truth, but you somehow can't get it out. Because you're a good friend. I can't say that. That will hurt them. And with all good intention, with all good meaning, perhaps to protect them, perhaps to protect us, there becomes truth that we've failed to speak out that we failed to be faithful to. Jesus says something about the truth, doesn't he? What does he say? He says the truth will set you free. What he doesn't say is that it usually seriously hacks you off before it sets you free. But it does set you free. And there's something about Joseph in that moment saying, well, the only thing I can go for here is the truth. Because if I stop standing on the truth, I'm not really standing on anything at all. And there are some lovely moments where this is kind of repeated in other uh, people's lives, great kind of um, uh, 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 characters of faith. Well, let's start with Jesus, for example. When he says to, to, to Peter, get behind me, Satan. Did he, did, he, did he not love Peter with all his heart in that moment? Of course he did. But Jesus knew that if, if he stopped standing on the truth, then he wasn't really standing on anything at all. The truth will set you free. Sometimes you, uh, back to X Factor. Because it's the kind of cultural commentary on our world, isn't it? You can learn everything from X Factor, almost forgotten what point I was going to make now. I was so overcome by all the truths about X Factor. I think, what on earth was I saying? Um, <laughs> when they get, have the early rounds, well, in fact, not so much the early rounds, even the later rounds, and there's someone on there, right, you clearly can't sing. And like, yeah, like, what's her name? Honey G. Yeah, Honey G. Honestly, what's she doing still in that competition? <laughs> Makes me angry every Saturday and Sunday night. 
I've got to work through forgiveness and all sorts just because she, she's there. And it seems so unfair, so unjust. But, but what I don't understand, uh, say for Honey G, or for some... Where, where were their friends? Who said, go on national telly and have a go, you'll be great? Who said that to some of those people? Or worse, who didn't say anything? It'll be all right. Oh, she's terrible. It'll be awful. It? Be all right. Where are people's friends? They didn't want to hurt them, so they let them make a right muppet of themselves on national telly. And you wonder where the truth is. If we're not standing on the truth, we're not really standing on anything at all. But that's not all. There are three things. And you have to get all three in order to put the whole thing into context. The Spirit gave Joseph not just the courage to speak the truth, but the wisdom to speak the whole truth. The wisdom to speak the whole truth. You see, some people are good at speaking the truth, aren't they? And you avoid them. They are bold and brash and courageous, and they're condemning from a hundred miles. And their critical spirit just fills the room the moment they walk in. You know, the ones that can see a speck of dust in your eye from half a mile, but can't get any closer because that's how long their plank is. (laughs) You see, Joseph wasn't like that. You can't take one slither. The wisdom to speak the whole truth. You see, one of the issues for those people that we go, all they do is just bang on about the truth, and it makes me feel awful, is that they haven't harnessed the wisdom to share the whole truth. You see, Joseph told Pharaoh absolutely, unequivocally, the truth about what would happen, but he also gave Pharaoh the whole truth That there is a God in heaven, Pharaoh, that even though this will happen to you, God in heaven is already seven years uh, anticipating, seven years ahead, thinking about what you can do now to help you get ready because our God has a rescue plan. It's not just, Pharaoh, that things are going to go wrong. But God in his grace wants you to know that because in the fullness of his grace, he wants you to know the whole truth that he already has a plan to save you. And if we are to talk to people about the truth, whatever that truth might be, in a situation, in their lives, we must be as quick to make sure we are ready with the wisdom to articulate the grace that is there as well. The truth might be you've screwed up, you've messed up, you've made a big mistake. But the truth is also the grace of God is here right now to forgive you, to sort you out, to take you back on a new path. Hallelujah. That's gospel right there in Genesis. People say, I don't get the Old Testament. It's got nothing to do with the New Testament. It's got everything to do with the New Testament. Right there in the lives of ordinary (coughs) men and women. And now let Pharaoh look for a discerning and wise man and put him in charge of the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh appoint commissioners over the land to take a fifth of the harvest of Egypt during the seven years of abundance. Verse 35. They should collect all the food of those, these good years that are coming and store up the grain under the authority of Pharaoh uh, to be kept in the cities for food. Verse 36. This food should be held in reserve for the country to be used during the seven years of famine that will come upon Egypt so that the country may not be ruined by the famine. There is a rescue plan. 
Always. Always. And Christians sometimes have had a bad name because they whack people with the truth. And they're not clear about the rescue plan. Or sometimes we don't talk much about the truth and we celebrate a rescue plan and we're not sure what we're being rescued from. We need the truth and we need the grace. Truth and grace. The courage to speak the truth and the wisdom to speak the whole truth. He is a rescuing God. And I love the way we see it in the very first sermon that Peter preached. Remember on the day of Pentecost, Holy Spirit comes down, Peter and the others get out of their prison, the room they've been waiting in, parallels and connections all over the Bible, and they get out onto the streets, and Peter preaches the first sermon. And he starts with the truth. Jesus was the Son of God, the long-awaited Messiah, and you killed him. That's the opening part of his message. Very attractive. And you killed him, and now you're in big trouble. It's my paraphrase of the first part of Peter's sermon. The courage to tell the truth. So there he is in the marketplace, a bit like Joseph, surrounded by all the great and the good, all the religious leaders, all the people with influence, and he looks around at them and he says, do you know what, guys? Actually, you killed him. That Jesus that you killed, he was the Messiah, the Son of God. Now you are in massive trouble. That takes some courage, doesn't it? But then, right on the heels, the wisdom to speak the whole truth. Just at that moment when you think Peter's lost his mind and he's got courage way beyond reality, he introduces them to God's rescue plan. And he says to them that day, but even now, even now, if you turn to him in forgiveness, he will rescue you, forgive you of your sins, and you can receive the Holy Spirit. And it pretty well worked, because 3,000 people get saved. The truth and the wisdom for the whole truth. It's what Peter did, it's what Joseph did, it's what Jesus does. So if we're going to be influencers, we need to have the courage to contend for the truth. But we also need the grace and the wisdom to share the whole truth. And it's the same again in a public dimension or in a personal dimension, whatever uh, place we're applying all of this into our lives. We need the courage to speak out into our culture. A message that is unpalatable to a hedonist, consumerist generation. But we need the wisdom to be declaring the whole truth. That there is a God that rescues us from the very things that we cannot rescue ourselves from. There is a God who already has come to seek and to save the lost. It's not just that you're lost but that there is a God who's coming looking for you. And that's true in the gospel sense for people that don't yet know Jesus, but it's true in our lives when we need to be confronted with the truth, when there's something wrong that we need to address. Not only do we need to see the truth, but we need to see the rescue. And often the difference the difference is whether the truth, in terms of how it comes to us, if the truth that comes to us condemns us, then it's probably just going to be the truth. But if the truth comes just to convict us, it's probably the whole truth that's coming. Do you with me? And we need to think about how we communicate truth with people.
in, that, in the light of that. Thirdly, the Spirit gave Joseph the opportunity to embody the truth. You see, as we declare truth to people, we need to seize the opportunity that it gives us to live out that truth in their lives, to stand with people, to walk with people, to help people, to journey with them from where they are to the other side. Not to plonk truth on people and leave it with them, but to bring the truth and to stay with them as they work it out in their lives. Let's not tell people the truth unless we're ready to fight for them and work with them. If your spouse is being less than what they could, should be, then you might need the courage to say some things that are true. But you will also need the wisdom to help them see the plan, God's plan, if they have faith, God's change through it. And be willing to get stuck in and help them with it. But so often in relationships, marriages, families, discipling relationships, whatever it is, we lob the truth from a distance and we go, that's true, deal with it. Joseph said, no, Pharaoh, this is true, but there is this greater truth of God's rescue and if you want, I'll be right in it with you. It's a world of difference, isn't it? We use that phrase, don't we? I'm going to speak the truth in love. You've probably lost it if you've already had to say that. You know, we're all bristly and braced because you're about to get a kicking. If people do not know how much we love them, maybe we don't even have the right to speak the truth. If we're not willing to love them in it and through it, if we're not willing to stay with them in all the mess and the stress and the strain of it, maybe we cannot say it. And that's, I guess, why truth sometimes has such a bad name. It's why, because we sometimes worry that grace has got so lost that we shy away from the truth. But soon we'll celebrate the one who came, who was full of grace and truth. A beautiful, remarkable combination. But how, how did he do that? Because I think in our relationships, we'd all recognize that some of us are better with the truth and some of us are better with the grace. How do we bring those things together? How do we live out the Jesus calling to be flesh and blood, grace and truth realities where we are? Well, I love the fact that right at the beginning of the Bible, down in Egypt, a pagan king recognized what was going on. You look at verse 37, verse 38. The plan seemed good to Pharaoh and to all his officials, verse 38. So Pharaoh asked them, can we find anyone like this man, one in whom is the Spirit of God? So a pagan king worships many gods, pagan king who uh, had up until now given the honor for his wealth and success to the gods that controlled the Nile and fertility, Uh, the the cows, I didn't mention this, the cows were quite uh, symbolic of uh, of their deity uh, and honored. 
So a pagan king recognizes that in Joseph rests the spirit of God. Now there's a sweet spot. There's a sweet spot. I need the Holy Spirit if I am going to continually break out of tiptoeing around the truth and declare it clearly. I need the Holy Spirit if I'm not going to simply uh, uh, protect myself by declaring the truth and chucking it out there without my heart engaging with the people with whom the truth touches. And I need to be filled with the Holy Spirit if I am going to seize the opportunity, not just to lob out the truth, not just to engage my heart, but to get in there with people and to fight for the truth to become real in their lives. Because when the truth becomes real in our lives, we find a freedom, says Jesus, that we will not find anywhere else. If the sun sets you free, you shall be free indeed. A revolution, a revolutional, revolutional, revolutionary freedom. The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. If you then, said Jesus, know how to give good gifts to your kids even though you're evil and messed up, how much more will the Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. And suddenly it all changes for Joseph. In that moment, he finds the sweet spot full of truth and grace. The right moment, the right time, the right man, the right words. And suddenly, the influence that God had had and known for him all his life bus into reality before everyone's eyes. Geographical control, financial responsibility, social prestige, royal privileges, political power. And suddenly the prison and the pit seem a long way away. Let's pray. For a moment, let's just think about what... what we've been thinking about as I've been speaking the, the, the people or the place maybe something I said touched on something at, at work or something at home something in your marriage something with those in your mission or community that you're discipling wherever it is wherever it is what does it mean to contend for the truth in that environment in that situation and are you so busy perhaps contending for the truth that you've forgotten all about the grace? Or are you tiptoeing around afraid of the truth? Finding it hard in this reality to trust the words of Jesus that the truth will set you free. And maybe you've resisted Contending for the truth, because it, it does mean, and you've known it means, getting right involved in a situation, in a circumstance, walking a journey with someone, sharing their pain, helping them through, that the truth in the end might win out. And you just hear the whisper 
of God today to say yes to that journey. Whatever our situation, whatever our circumstance, we need the Holy Spirit. And if you're conscious of your need for the Holy Spirit today, I invite you to open your arms, I invite you to stand, just do something, lift up your hands, do something that says, that's what I want. That's what I'm asking for. That's what I'm asking for. Holy Spirit, would you fill us as we ask you now? You say that you will give the Holy Spirit to those who ask. So don't let me ask on your behalf. Take take it. Ask for yourself. With open hands, with open hearts, with open minds. Fill us afresh with grace and truth. Give us courage to stand on the truth, for without it we're not standing on anything at all. Give us the wisdom to see your rescue plan, to see how grace gets worked out, and to declare the whole truth with wisdom and grace. And give us the love and the commitment to get in it with people. To be with, to be alongside. Fill us with your Holy Spirit, we pray. So that when that moment comes, when it's crunch time, we're ready. And we too will rise to influence for your kingdom.